Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Okay. Which would never happen <laughs> in this room. Yeah. <laughs> not, yeah. Not, what not, am I thinking? Not a lot of fear about that. Yeah. <laughs> And a warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold, and today is Guy Talk Day to get things started. I've got the entire power panel in place, including 007 at the start of the hour. That is a Peter, shocking hello? development. When is the first time we have seen this? What do you think accounts for his presence have, this early in the show? I have no I don't know idea. Either. Yeah. But, Incredible. Yeah, thank you. So, <laughs> Pastors Tom Brock, Tom Parrish, Justin Jepson, and Dr. Peter Kapsner. Uh, Peter, you've got a skill set. Who are you and who do you work for? I've always wanted to say that. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> I'm the wrong guy to ask. I've got nothing. I think we've got to ask these guys. Brock, you're overseas right now, right? We don't talk about I that. Am, we don't, I we am. We don't talk about no. where, where in the world is Tom Brock. No, we don't do that. We I don't am do that freezing too. in the hotel room in Spain. I mean, it's so <laughs> doggone cold. I I'm indifferent to your suffering, just so you know, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So nice to have everyone together. Thank you uh, for coming on Guy Talk. If you have a question for the power panel, please let me know what it is. You can text it over to 877-933-2484. Again, that text line is 877-933-2484. So I was in 1 Peter 3 today, and in verse 8 it says, Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. <clears throat> Anybody want to comment on that? <laughs> <laughs> well, the world would be a very different place if we could, as Christians, obey that, right? Yeah, I amen. think that's, uh, yeah. Um, but, I, I mean, again, I think the the reality of Peter again writing to, um, I believe his original audience was, was Christians under persecution, which is much of the early church, right? Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, again, have unity of mind, sympathy, brother love, tender heart, and a humble mind. I, I think the, again, that whole word about do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, um, you know, this is such a, you know, this past this past fall um, in my role at Northwestern, I've since transitioned out of it, but our, our focus was the one another's. And, uh, um, and and again, this list of 60 or so commands in, in Scripture in the New Testament, you know, uh, most of which, two-thirds of which written by written by Paul, um, and the, there's a key theme of this idea of love and unity, and love, humility, and unity. And all three of these are mentioned here, <laughs> you know, and so I think the, um, in, a, in a world that we seek to other other people, to put it that way, right? We, we you know, if, if they're different than us, different political view, different theological spectrum, we other them, we distance ourselves. Um, but Christians call is is we are we are to one another, each other, if that makes sense. And so we don't we don't have we're actually supposed to move closer to one another, 
um, even despite our differences and even celebrate the differences that we have as they can express the beautiful diversity that exists within the body of Christ. Yeah, thanks, Justin. Tom Brock, what do you think? Well, I'm just thinking that, um, you know, when I was a young pastor, just a friend of mine who was also a pastor, watching the way he would be very kind and loving toward people that uh, were difficult. And I, I learned from him that when somebody is really obnoxious, hold your breath, bite your tongue, and be polite as you can be. And and I, I've, through the years, too, when I get people attacking me for my beliefs um, and get some really awful emails or phone calls, I just pray under my breath, God, give me grace, and just you know, I, I, it's nice to have Christians to learn from who are extremely patient. That helped me become more patient. Not that there isn't a time to speak up like the Apostle Paul did, but I think Paul the Apostle probably bit his tongue a lot, too, mm. putting up with people. Such a, such a good word, Tom Brock. Thank you for that. Tom Parrish? Yeah. You know, this is such a revolutionary text in the whole New Testament, because in all of human history— Nobody ever said these things before. This was not the way people dealt with one another. Mm. I mean, more an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth was a lot closer to the way the world has always behaved and still does in many places. So when I read these words, it just it shows me the divine nature of the New Testament, because who wants to read this kind of writing when you're getting hurt by others unless you know the risen Lord Jesus? It's amazing. Mm. Yeah, I, it, Parish, and what you're saying there in terms of how they live so differently, I think that one of the great invitations that we have as the people of God following Jesus in this world, that being the church, is is to live a disruptive way of life. And those words that you read, Bill, from First Peter, those are disruptive words in terms oh, of how yeah. the world is functioning now. And, and oh, yeah. I think about the first church, that the way that they evangelized was primarily through the expression of their lived life together that was so disruptively different than the culture around them. And so they were living by a different power, a different means that allowed them to naturally but supernaturally treat one another in these ways, thus the invitation. And the world got to look at that and said, huh, those people are really different in terms of how, how kind they are, how they treat one another. And when you have that, that you're bearing witness in that way relationally with one another in terms of bearing witness of the kingdom, it then allows you to tell the story. So here's why we're bearing witness. There was this this man that came and died on the cross. He was the God-man from heaven, and he rose from the dead, and we're living by a different power, and that is what is animating our life together as a community. And boy, do we need that same kind of call today, because it's going to be the lived life of the community that's going to shine the light in the world that will call people back home. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right. Any additional thoughts, or shall I move on to the next question? Well, one last thought is, yes. man, can people be rude on Facebook? Oh, yeah. I mean, just the way people, I think people who would not normally be so doggone rude, they're just so insulting. And there is there especially is a place where I've learned to bite my tongue and either just not respond at all or just be as polite as I can be. Yeah, I seem to think of that as anti-social media. <laughs> That's a good term no kidding. Yeah. Really good term yeah. for it. All right, here's another question yeah. that came in. The Bible says that we are the priesthood of believers. What does that mean for the people sitting in the pews who have very little uh, insight as to how to put that into practice? Mm. Interesting question. 
I think that's a little bit of a function of the way the church tends to be organized at times, where we have sort of paid staff, and, and they're the vocational people that lead the church, and then their job is to have the people come into the church that then are equipped or ministered to. But um, but I think there would have to be a different rela- uh, organizational structure to allow more of a participative kind of life together in which the priesthood of believers is coming together within the gifts of the Spirit um, to, to serve one another in the body. So. It is tricky. I mean, the, the reformers really emphasize the priesthood of believers in the response to what were perceived to be some corrupted situations within the church because people are abusing their authority. And so they emphasize the idea that we need to all have voice. And, you know, that can get tricky at times, too. Uh, it's not terrible to have a representative staff or, or, or a pastoral staff, but at the same time, to really allow the empowerment. Uh, for the priesthood of believers, I think it's going to require a different mm-hmm. organizational structure moving forward. Mm-hmm. Tom yeah. Parrish? I think it would be great if we would operate this way because, I mean, after all, this seems to be the Lord's idea. I have a friend who has a great statement. He said, in the beginning, God created us in his image, and we've been trying to return the compliment ever since. <laughs> we have a tendency to, to take what the New Testament says or what the Bible says, and we conform it to our culture or our way of thinking or our way of doing things. When if you look at it, think about it. If we really operated this way, if we really operated as the priest of all believers, the church would be the most dynamic organization in the world. There wouldn't be anything we couldn't do. But we have narrowed it down to a few people and uh, with a participating audience who gives money, rather than every Christian being a minister of the gospel. I think the Lord has the right idea, and I think, Peter, like you say, we've got to find a way to get back to this. Thank you. Uh, Justin? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I love what uh, Peter and Tom have said already, and I, and I think uh, maybe just at a different um, perspective of this. So if you look at, you know, the position or, or the role of the priest in the Old Testament, mm-hmm. I mean, it was somebody who had um, an access to God that others, the common people, did not, and they had a role of representation of God to the people. And what's so revolutionary about now under the New Covenant here in the New Testament, and even here in First Peter, we're called actually a royal priesthood, is that there's not, there's not one Christian um, that has um, these varied levels of access to God where we, it says we all have the same access to God through the Holy Spirit because of the shed blood of Jesus. So um, out of all of us on this call, all of our listeners— um, because of Jesus, He is our way. He is our access to God, which means that we can actually come and approach God on behalf of one another, and we can engage in an intercession on behalf of one another that's just as powerful and just as close and just as intimate as any other Christian. And you know, I've, I've had people throughout my life, you know, and I've, um, you know, they say, "Oh, well, you're you're the pastor. You have a direct line to God. You sh- could you pray for me? Because it works when you pray." <laughs> Well, uh, that, I mean, having the title or a role, I mean, is important, and absolutely there's a structure, and we see these different roles and positions within the church, and different denominations and different churches do this differently. But I, I always like to say, hey, you have the same access to God that I have. Let's just, let's go there together, <laughs> you yep. know? And so I, I think that's part of what, it, for the person in the pew, to say, what does this mean for me? You have the same access to God through Jesus than any other Christian throughout all of human history, even the Apostle Paul has. Amen. So I think that's amazing, mm. and that, that should give us a, a humble confidence to live into that calling and to go before God's throne of grace with boldness. Mm. Tom Brock? 
You know, that's also good, uh, uh, Bill. Um, <laughs> when did you become Elmer Fudd? Good, Joe, whatever your name is. Bill, He's that was also good. I can't add anything. <laughs> All right, then that's a good time to take a short uh, break. Um, you're listening to Guy Talk or Guys Who Talk. Let us know what your questions are. You can text them over to 877-933-2484. Or if you like email, you can email me, bill at myfaithradio.com. panel is crushing it already today. We've got the full team here. Pastors Tom Brock, Tom Parrish, Justin Jepson, and Peter Kapsner. Gentlemen, thank you once again for being here. Uh, here's the next question that came in. In Mark 9, verse 1, it says, there are some standing here who will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God present with power. What does that mean? Hmm. Tom Parrish. Well, in the context to which he's talking about, uh, and this is, of course, before Jesus rose from the dead. This is before he ascended into heaven. They did see those that were standing there, you know, the apostles. They saw the Lord. Now, how far that goes down the line, I'm not sure. But I know that there's a reality here that we have a hard time getting a hold of because we have a tendency to think in two terms when we think about glory or, or those things. One is the first coming and then the second coming where in many ways Jesus has continued to reveal himself to his believers uh, throughout time. And look at John and the island of Patmos. So there's, there's a lot going on here that we don't always have when we look at it just from our perspective. Thank you for that. Justin? Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, uh, the context here of, of, of Mark, I mean, this is the, um, Jesus is beginning now to make known to his disciples his death and his resurrection and telling them plainly what's going to happen. And like most disciples, we can often resonate. We're a little slow of heart to believe and to kind of have thick skulls with this again. So, um, but I think this this reality of this call to discipleship this, that precedes these words that you read here in Mark 1, so right at the end of chapter 8, um, and I think it's important to consider, you know, in verse 38 of Mark 8, he says, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. So here he seems to be referring to his second coming, So which is why it's a little interesting that he then says to them, I say to you, some are standing here, right? You're not going to taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it's come in power. So it almost sounds like it saying that some are going to be here at the second coming of some of you are going to not taste death until the second coming of Christ. But I think what he is referring to is making a shift now and saying that there are some of you standing here that you're going to, you're going to witness my resurrection. You're also going to witness the Holy spirit coming in power and birthing the church. And you're going to see um, this global movement begin from a few 120 believers and you're going to begin to see it multiply and turn the world upside down. And so I think that's, he's referring, I think, kind of the full scope of that. And we know that that is the case. Um, so um, in the first the first decades of the early church. 
great answer. Thank you, Justin. I don't know if anybody else wants to add in anything. Certainly, that's been. I do. There you go, Tom Brock. Stage well, is yours. I mean, the question is: Was Jesus wrong when he said some some of you will not taste death and death until you see this Son of Man coming in power? And so, was Jesus wrong because all the disciples are dead, and the second coming still hasn't happened? The context is real important. The very next verse is, he takes them on top of the mountain, and mm-hmm. Peter, James, and John see the transfiguration. And that is seeing Jesus come in power. Now, it's, it's kind of the, the transfiguration, which is, the, is, some people think that happened after the resurrection. It didn't. That happens before Jesus goes to the cross. He shows himself in all of his glory to Peter, James, and John. And so I think that's what it's referring to. The transfiguration is kind of a preview of the second coming. But I think the way we answer the question, you know, was Jesus wrong in the timing? No, he was right. He was referring to what was just about to happen in the next verse, which is when the disciples saw him, some of them, and it says some of them, uh, come in power and glory at the transfiguration. Yeah, I suspect that something, some sort of similar dynamic is going on here is what we see in the Old Testament where they expected a certain thing related to the Messiah and how the Messiah would come and what the Messiah would look like. And, and many people then missed the fact that Jesus was the Messiah altogether because they, they misunderstood some of what he was up to. And I think some of these same dynamics that you guys have outlined are at play here. But I think it's a fair question to ask because there are a couple communities for sure within the early church that were confused by this very idea that they were they were dying the book of hebrews was written to people who were starting to think about walking away from the early christian community because they were experiencing death and suffering and persecution and they didn't think that'd be the case they didn't think they were gonna have to wait and die until jesus's kingdom came the um thessalonican community stopped working all together because they just figured out oh, jesus is returning soon we don't have to do work anymore so there was Certainly some context there, but I think they missed what these guys are outlining, that when Jesus was talking about a kingdom, there's a now-not-yet version of it. It it has already come, and that coming will continue to point, uh, or the the, the kingdom power available now will point to the coming that is yet to come in its fullness. Nicely done. All right, here's another question that just came in. I just learned the only time God says you can test him is in Malachi 3.10. Do you have anything you'd like to comment on this? And can you also expand on your thoughts on tithing? I heard him say Justin. That's what I heard. Uh, yeah. Is that, is it, yeah. Yeah. Was clearly, <laughs> clearly what you said yeah. right there. Yeah. I was clearing my throat. Yeah. It's, I, with the oh, microphone just, off. Yeah. Definitely Justin. Yeah. I definitely heard yeah. Justin. Yeah. Me too. Oh, okay. Sure. Sure. <laughs> I, uh, sorry. Um, well, yeah, I, I think the, I'm trying to think through, uh, my memory, if there's any other place to, I think that I think that's a, a right observation. That indeed, is the only time where God says, "Test me in this." Um, I mean, I think that I think that part of that too is a is we cannot outgive God, um, and and I think that whatever we do give up, um, it really pales into comparison to what we receive in turn, and and really. As it comes to tithing, though, and this idea of a 10%, um, I think this is an important distinction that we see across all of Scripture in terms of what, what's prescribed versus what's described. Um, I don't believe there's anywhere that says we're commanded to give 10%, but we see that many give 10% um, almost as a starting mark or as a benchmark. Um, and I think that's a good place to start, but if you look at you know Paul's word of 
in Second Corinthians eight that you know that we God loves a cheerful giver. We should decide in our own heart um, how much we should give, and and to know that we we reap what we sow. So if we reap sparingly, uh, if we sow sparingly, we'll reap sparingly. If we sow bountifully, we'll also reap bountifully. Um, but I think the whole idea of tithing. You know, it's not that 10% of our all of our possessions and money and resources belongs to God and the rest belongs to us. It, it all belongs to God. Um, and so I think when we have that perspective, um, I think 10% is a good benchmark to begin with. But then I think God's design as we grow in his grace and generosity um, that we continue to grow um, from there and to give more and more. Tom Brock, I know you got something on this. Well, you know, the, the Old Testament was was yeah you had to give 10% of your crops or whatever and it supported the the priesthood and other things in the new testament it's not reiterated and paul never says you have to give 10% he does say give as you prosper so the old testament is tithe new testament is give as you prosper and i remember a man at my church when i preached tithing didn't like it that's old testament pastor brock we're free not to do that and my response was, okay, yeah, but if the Old Testament Jews who knew a tiny bit about the love of God were moved to give 10%, now that we have the death and resurrection of Christ showing the intense love of God, will we be moved to give more or less than the Old Testament Jew? And my mm-hmm. belief is, I, I think tithing is a minimum. I mean, America is about the wealthiest nation on earth. And I mean, if, if the dirt poor natives in certain lands can tithe, American Christians can tithe. So I, I do think uh, I think we should be giving more than 10 percent if we're able. Again, Paul says, give as you prosper. That is the New Testament uh, uh, challenge to Old Testament tithing. Mm hmm. And don't you guys think we need to be careful, too, with that passage, how it gets interpreted in some people's lives, where it's the idea that if I give or test the Lord in my tithing, that then he is going to pour out the storehouse of blessings, as we read about in Malachi 3. It's almost a a give-to-get kind of mentality. And I think among the many problems with that is that God was talking to a people in this passage. He wasn't talking to an individual and giving them some kind of mechanic by which they can go ahead and get wealthy or get the blessings that they want. It was a very different kind of invitation going on in that culture. And this was definitely about an entire people. It wasn't an individual saying, hey, I'm going to give you a certain amount, God, because I'm going to test you to see if then you'll turn around and give me the blessings that I really think that I need right now. Peter Kapsner, you know, you don't overpromise, but you overdeliver. <laughs> it's very an unusual moment. So that's why I don't overpromise. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, well, I mean. yeah so I, I love this topic. Maybe we can return to it after the break, but I do want to um, let everybody know that we are starting our, our Acts reading series on February 1st. And if you go to myfaithradio.com, you can sign up to be part of that. And it is an awesome study. And we highly encourage you to go check it out. And if you also want to get a question on the show today, please let me know what that question is. You can, of course, ask it anonymously. You text me uh, the question to 877-933-2484. Again, the text line is 877-933-2484. And if you like email, you can also send it via email to bill at myfaithradio.com. And if you want to send it to me through the snail mail, we'll probably put it out in the show in about three weeks. <laughs> That's fair. All right. Dr. Peter Kapsner is in studio, and I also have Pastors Tom Brock, Tom Parrish, and Justin Jepson as my power panel today. Nice to have the full squad here. We'll take a short break and be right back.
It's the Afternoon Show with Bill Arno. Drive time, drive time, let's get it started. Jump in your car, what's for dinner? It's the Afternoon Show with Bill Arno. Welcome back to Guy Talk or Guys Who Talk. We're so glad that you... Uh are listening and sending over questions. We'd love to hear, get more of them, 877-933-2484. If you've got a question on the Bible or theology or, or doctrine or something that you've, you've been stuck with, let us know what it is. We'll try to talk, talk you through it, and we'll try to discuss it among ourselves, and hopefully we'll come up with something that will be satisfying for you. So that would be great. So another question uh, that came in, I want Jesus to return today and end the mess of the world. Mm. Who doesn't, who doesn't want that? Um, I, don't see, I don't see any real answers to the hatred, pain, and suffering of life. Every time I read Jesus' words in the book of Revelation, Behold, I'm coming soon. I pray it is today. How do I keep living in this sad world when his second coming may not even be in my lifetime? That's an interesting question. It's a great question. Let's see. Who I wants to go of... first? How, how about Justin. <laughs> All right. Well, I like, you know, I like you start with me to set the bar low, and then the other guys can clean it up. So, um, I, see, I see what you're doing here today, Bill. Oh, yeah, I'm um, messing with you big time. Never show yeah, up on time I, again, Justin. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, so that was my New Year's resolution. Show up to time on Guy Talk. And oh, nice. Doubting that nice. Yeah. Limit. But um, no, this is a great, this is a great question. And, uh, you know, I, on one hand, while it seems, you know, I think the think of the scripture is, you know, don't don't count the Lord as 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 slow as some count slow. I mean, he part of his delay is he is bringing souls into the kingdom all across the world, and I think that it's important to consider. You know, the theologians call this the the doctrine of divine con- concurrence, uh, where on one hand, yes, there the world is full of evil and hate and pain and suffering and violence and wickedness. But on the other hand, the scripture says that the earth is full of God's glory and it's full of a steadfast love. And God is moving and he is working. And part of the delay, you know, to be honest, like we got to recognize that while the world is a mess, I, I'm contributing to that mess. <laughs> and, and so God's not done working in and through me yet. And he's not done working in and through the, um, and through the church. And, and I love, you know, first Peter, I think it's, First Peter that says we can actually hasten the day of the Lord, and we know that when the you know Matthew twenty four fourteen that when this gospel of the kingdom has been preached to every nation, then the end will come. And so I think the how in terms of the focus to continue to live in this world is how can we continue to advance the gospel um, and to see God's kingdom here um, in an ever increasing way towards its final consummation and fulfillment at the return of Christ, and to know that. Jesus is faithful. He will sustain us. He will encourage us. And this is why it's important to not try to do this by ourselves, but to be living and dwelling in community with others. Mm. Good. Good word. Tom Parrish? Yeah, there are two groups of people I've worked with in life that I find are the most cynical after they've been in their job a long time. One are police. I've worked a lot with the police. And, of course, they deal with everybody out there under the sun, and it's always not good. Believe it or not, the second one are pastors, and we have a very high attrition rate among pastors because they become cynical with the church, cynical with life. Mm -hmm. I think the problem is I could see every pastor going that direction when you deal with problems and heartaches and confidentiality all the time. You hear things you wish you'd never heard in the first place. But what it comes down to is this. 
when it, I would have become cynical myself if somewhere along the way, it was like the Lord Jesus came along, smacked me upside of the head and said, Tom, keep your eyes on me, not on what you see around you, because what you see around you will discourage you, but keep your eye on me and the ultimate goal, and I'll get you there. And I've been doing this almost 50 years, guys, and I can tell you it's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, uh, I, I don't know that we can spend enough time in Hebrews chapter 11 when it talks about the life of faith that people lived uh, throughout all of those generations, and it goes through that whole litany of stories in which people, what, what they had to walk in in their times and their circumstances was often uh, absolutely terrible and, and horrific, not it, more localized than maybe the global scene today, but still really difficult times for them. And, and there's two verses out of that in Hebrews chapter 11 that I, I return to often. And one of them is after it goes through describing how all of these people, what they all suffered, being son and two, being put to death by stoning, killed by the sword, went about in sheepskins and goatskins and, and all of these different stories. It says in verse 38, one thing, the world was not worthy of them, meaning that they had somehow been able to transcend anything that was going on in this world as they lived by the power of faith uh, in the midst of that world. And then it also said they were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. They never, they didn't get a chance to also see the second coming. We live in a long line of people who live by the strengthening power of faith in God that as, as he dwells within us to do this life, but it doesn't mean we're going to be able to see the end, but it's the only way you can lean into is we're in a, a part of a whole long story of people in their times, in the midst of whatever brokenness they were, they continued to shine that witness until they were brought home. And then it says at the end, we'll all be brought safely home, made together perfect. Good. Good word, Peter. Pastor Brock? Well, um, you know, I, thought, <laughs> I, I also thought of, uh, of your question led to First Peter, where, where Peter says, don't think the Lord's being slow about his countenance, his 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 promise, but he's, you know, wanting everyone to reach repentance. So maybe it would help the caller. The one thing that helps me not want the second coming right now is I have too many family and friends who would not go to heaven if they happen right now. So I, you know, I think we live in strange times. I don't ever remember quite so much global stress as we've got right now with COVID and then in America with just like bitter politics, like I, I I can't ever remember, except for maybe during uh, the Watergate stuff. But just put all the bitterness with politics, put all the COVID together with, with what's going on. And then my specialty is heresy in the church. And to see denominations that used to be good just go down the tubes embracing the world's values. It's just put it all together. I want Christ to return too, mm. <laughs> but I've got enough family and friends that I'm, I'm willing to wait. I like that perspective, mm-hmm. Tom, uh, Tom Brock, because it shows your, you. your heart and your compassion for the lost, which mm-hmm. is what we should all feel very mm-hmm. compassionate sure. about. Anybody well, else? Have anything to add? Going once, going twice, and we're moving on. Okay. I love this verse in 1 Peter 3 that says, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give the reason for your hope. What is the reason for your hope? Mm. The phrase eternal life is what comes to mind for me. And I'm I'm, I'm not necessarily meaning a dwelling point in heaven. When you look at the phrase eternal life in the scriptures, it simply means an indestructible kind of life that God himself enjoys. And so that's the reason for the hope that even because we live within the indestructible way of life that God enjoys, that's why Paul can then say, you know what? Even if the worst happens, even if I die, 
yet I live. And so the, the hope that we profess is an indestructible hope that, that we're never far from God's hand, whether in life or in death, uh, pain or in triumph, uh, any of those places, we still have this indestructible way of life. And that, that's the hope. I can't think of any other thing in this world that I can say that about. Hmm. Nicely said. Tom Parrish? He lives. Because yeah. Jesus lives, I know ultimately where I'm going, what this is all about, and he's already told me he's going to end the final word. And, you know, everything else could be crazy around me, but because I know he lives, that's my defense, and I love sharing him with other people. Great answer. Justin? Yeah, I just, I totally agree with I mean, this idea of, um, it is eternal life. Um, it's, it's hope. It's, it's life beyond the, beyond the grave. And, you know, I, I, uh, my, my four-year-old son, four and a half-year-old son recently has been on this streak of asking me about death and what happens mm, when wow. we die. And, and I don't know, like, I don't know where this is coming from, but he just, you know, what's going to happen when I die? Am I going to die soon? Am I going to die? Wow. You know, he starts talking about this and I'm like, okay, I don't know where this is coming from, but like for me to, I can say with utter and complete confidence to say, you know what, someday we will die, and that's for God to decide. But for those who know Jesus, we will never die, mm. and we will live forever with him and together. And there's a sense in which when I say that to him, even though I don't think conceptually he fully gets it, but I think um, I, I'm trusting that through God's grace, that hope is visible and it's tangible in that moment, and not just what I'm saying, but how I'm saying what I'm saying to him. And it seems to give him this this sense of peace of like, oh, mm-hmm. he's like, okay, now let's keep playing dinosaurs. You know, like you kind of kind of go on to the next <laughs> thing. But what I love about this passage, Bill, is it says, "Be prepared to give uh, a defense to anyone who asks you," which I think, at least to some level, this is talking about that we're not going out inciting the conversation or initiating that we should be living in such a way that our hope should be tangible as Christians, that people will look at the lives that we live individually and in community and say, what's up with that? Mm. Like, there's something different. That's distinct. That's salty. That's light. That's, I want to know about that. Why do you live with hope in such, you know, and I think of he, the, the word in Hebrews 6 of like, we have this hope as an anchor for our soul. And and so I think when we have someone who has that that anchoring that sense of steadfastness, that will stand out in the midst of a world that's so turbulent and full of change and uncertainty. Tom Brock. Well, and I'm thinking of the first part of that verse: uh, always be ready mm-hmm. uh, to give an account. And you know, I just again I'll say it. I've said it many times, but just go to Google Good News Tracks or something like that, and just get a bunch of good salvation tracks and put them in your pocket. And I mean, just yesterday I handed it to somebody uh, and just to see how, because there's so many people we, we meet in life for only five minutes and you're not going to be able to share the gospel with them. But, you know, to somehow be able to hand somebody a track and say, you know, this message has meant a lot to me and here you go. And, and it was, you know, it, you do it enough. It kind of gets easy. It's never really easy for me to do it. And it wasn't yesterday, but I knew I had to hand it to this guy. And uh, so just get a bunch of good Bible tracks and put them in your uh, wallet or your pocket or your purse or whatever. Mm, good answer. And way to go, Tom. I love that. <laughs> Say, Pray for that guy. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So the next question, I would love, if you would, Tom Parrish, to pray uh, right now for the lost and also for the prodigals 
before mm. I even address this next question, if you would. Mm. Sure. Lord, you know who's lost. You know who needs to hear the good news. And Lord, so many of them are close to us. Show us how to talk to them. Bring the good news into their hearts. And Lord, for those that have drifted away, who have heard and they're living the prodigal life, Lord, draw them back and give us a heart to receive them with your love, Jesus, and your grace. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, here's the question. My mom says she remembers when my son gave his heart to Christ, and she is sure of his salvation. He now does not believe that Christ is his Savior. I'm sad because I don't know if I will see him in heaven. Is my mom right or wrong? First of all, mom's love is always going to be one direction. Yeah. Right. So, of course. Yeah. So, we're going to give all moms the benefit of the doubt right now. But let's just talk about this position right now at this stage of his life. And of course, uh, there's a lot of years ahead, hopefully. Right. Yep. So, what, uh, what are your thoughts on this? You know, I got to say, uh, I don't think anything in the New Testament says. You can reject Christ, and even if you prayed a prayer 30 years ago, you're still going to heaven. But if you reject Christ now, well, okay, you're still... No, it just doesn't say that. And there's two ways to preach once saved, always saved. Uh, one way is that if you're if you're saved, you stay saved by the grace and power of God. Or if you fall away, you never were really saved. That's kind of a Calvinist way of looking at it. Lutherans tend to believe you actually can uh, fall away from your salvation. But... Whichever side you come down on, I, I I just don't feel comfortable with the preaching that I hear now and then on TV that, well, we know your son is going to go to heaven because 30 years ago he prayed a prayer, and he may be living in impenitent sin. He doesn't even believe in Christ anymore, but hey, he prayed. that the Luther, that the That's the Baptist heresy. The Lutheran heresy, and I'm a Lutheran, is, hey, I was baptized 50 years ago. I don't need to believe in Christ, go to church or whatever, because I got my ticket. I've been baptized. The Baptist heresy is I prayed the prayer. And the response of Jesus is, he who endures to the end will be saved. Hmm. Tom Parrish? I have a tendency to, I look at the scriptures and Jesus talks about he who endures to the end, or walking all the way to the end. It's kind of like, you know, my wife and I have been married almost 50 years now, and just to, for her and I to be at odds with one another or me ignoring her or not paying attention to her, and then somebody says, yeah, but you were married October 21st, 1972. Yeah, it's got to be more than that. It's an ongoing. It was a start, but it's got to be ongoing, and it is that daily walk with Jesus. Mm-hmm. Now, I trust more in Jesus' faithfulness than I do in mine. He's given me the faith, and I believe for this young man who many years ago prayed this prayer but has drifted away, don't give up. Keep praying. You never know when the Lord's going to bring somebody around. And I just, honest, guys, I had a guy I've been praying for for 45 years, 45 years, who came to faith in Jesus just a couple of months ago. Mm, And he grew up in the church. Wow. If I can offer some free counseling, Tom Parrish, if you are at odds with your wife, it's your fault. (laughs) (laughs) I already know that. All right. right, Let me uh, take a short break. You're listening to Guy Talk or Guys Who Talk. The power panel is pastors Tom Brock, Tom Parrish, Justin Jepson, Peter Kapsner. Let me know what your question is. We've got time for a couple of more. 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484.
We're back with Guy Talk, or Guys Who Talk. We're glad to hear, get your questions, 877-933-2484. I don't know if anyone has anything additional to add from the topic we were on before we went to break, which was uh, praying to receive Christ, uh, and then the person says they don't believe anymore that Christ is his Savior. So I don't know if there's anybody else that wants to add, or shall, shall we move on? Okay. Yeah, I, I think that's well, move on time. Unless Justin, you got something. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I'm I'm just trying to uh, think through if, how to articulate it. This would be helpful because I, I this is a really sensitive topic, and I know it sometimes can be a contentious issue. Um, I, I think on the one that's I, I, this is a particular situation that I've um, experienced quite a bit in my time as a youth pastor, uh, especially when we has you know, youth uh, students that would grow up in the church, they'd be baptized, they would, you know, go on mission trips, they would, you know, you know, even be the model youth group students, and then they go away to college, and then it's just, they seem to go downward and spiral, and, and they deny any, you know, allegiance to Jesus or anything like that. And then it, it does, it calls into question, oh, what was that whole upbringing like, you know, and, and, I, and I would just say, again, that it's so, while I can't imagine how pain painful this is for the mother and for parents going through this uh, going back like continue to set your hope on jesus like i think that when it comes to is he saved is he not saved i think sometimes that question can lead us down the wrong path where i think if hebrew going back to hebrews you know peter's talking about hebrews 11 hebrews 12 is looking to jesus the author and the finisher of faith now if Jesus started something in, in your son's life, you can be confident he is faithful to finish it because Jesus always finishes what he starts. Yes. Um, but at the same time, I think we also need to re-examine, this is kind of a little bit of a parenthesis, that um, we, we cannot preach a gospel that promises salvation devoid of discipleship. Um, in, in other words, you look at the call of Jesus, it's follow me. Yep. So the call is, the gospel is follow Jesus, be changed by Jesus, be committed to the mission of Jesus. And so, um, and that is a lifelong thing. That doesn't mean that, you know, disciples all fell away. They denied Jesus. Um, they they were hot messes, right, and and failed in, in all the time. Um, and so this could be a season in, in this particular young man's life where that's the case. So don't give up hope. Continue to pray. Um, but I would say put the energy and the focus on that and rather than trying to figure out whether or not they're saved or not saved. And so um, so those are just some of the other thoughts. Like I said, I, I know there's a lot more that could be said there, and we're getting towards the end of the show here. So I want to leave space for others to comment or move on to the other question, but I thought I at least would mention that. I appreciate it, Justin. Thank you for that. Um, so your fears in life, have they been largely real or imaginary? As you look and reflect over decades mm-hmm, mm-hmm. as an adult, have you had fears that have been mostly real or mostly imaginary? And the fears that you know, might have been mostly imaginary. I mean, I, I can get so worked up on something that just doesn't even exist. I, I think I told this story <laughs> once, but one guy, older gentleman, came out of the church door once and, yeah, Pastor Tom, I'm going to go to the lodge now. 
I thought, oh, he's a Mason. Oh, he was the nicest guy. And I'm thinking, now I got to con- I got to confront him on being a Mason. And it, it took a lot out of me for two weeks. I finally <laughs> called his wife and I said, okay, I'm going to come over and let's talk to Ralph about being a Mason. She said, well, well wait, yeah, 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 the lodge. Oh no, he's talking about the sons of Norway. <laughs> so, 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 so for for two weeks, I was worrying about something that did not exist. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of our worries just are not even real. So there you go. Yeah. Tom Parrish? I think worries are something that the devil just loves to put on us. And and I'm I'm very good at uh, <laughs> thinking about what the worst could be in something. Uh, the other reality is there are some really harsh things in life that come along. And I think that what the gospel offers is that Jesus offers hope in the midst of realities that don't make any sense. And I was just reading about the Holocaust the other day and about all the people that died. And, of course, terrible what happened. Six million Jews. People don't realize there were about as many Christians who died in that. And many of the children went with their parents to Auschwitz and Buchenwald and never came out again. So there are real, real worries out there. But I don't think we need to borrow them. I think we need to recognize that when they come, Jesus will be there with us and we can stand up to them, whether it's life or death, whether it's whatever's going on. Mm-hmm. Such a good word, Parish, because I think we understandably sometimes walk with God in such a way that his faithfulness is represented in how well our life is going. And I think God's faithfulness, when we begin to reimagine it in, in, a, in a biblical way, that God's faithfulness is that he will never leave us regardless of how things are going. And thus right. he's a shepherd that walks with us within the real um, tragedies of life and the real joys of life. And, and so his faithfulness is so steadfast in that, in that way that he doesn't ever leave us and forsake us in those moments. And I think to the extent that my heart gets anchored in that reality with God is the extent that my fears either crop up and keep me up at night or they they have some comfort. And whether or not they happen almost becomes irrelevant. It just, uh, my perspective of God as shepherd does a lot related to how I'm experiencing my fears in my life. Good word. That is a good word. Justin? Yeah, yeah, I love, again, I resonate with that too, uh, Peter, just the image of Jesus as my good shepherd who's with me uh, no matter what. And, you know, but I think the... Uh, that particular question, though, is have most of my fears been real or not? You know, there's that old adage, it sounds kind of trite, but, you know, fears, that, that acronym of false evidence appearing real. Um, I, most of the things that I feared usually come along the lines of, you know, the unknown. We fear the unknown. There's always, like, I, my mind starts spiraling in the what if. <laughs> it's, so easy, it's so easy to go into the worst case scenario, right? And I just like, yeah, more often than not, I what the worst case scenario doesn't happen. Now it can, and I recognize that, but um, thankfully that that hasn't been the case in my in my experience. But most of my fears, I think, are often not rooted in reality. Um, they're they're rooted in a false perception of reality, or a lie, or a deception. Um, or my misperception of something. So, um, and I think that's why it's yeah important to recognize Jesus who's with us as our good shepherd, but also be honest about our fears in prayer before God, but then also be conversant in, about your fears with others around you that, that know the Lord and love you. I've always loved that. Yeah. I've always loved that Charles Swindoll line that says, you know, 
life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you choose to respond to it. Mm. <laughs> right. That's a great line. Boy, that's, a that's a great line. It's a great line. So, yeah. yeah, I appreciate it. I think, you know, we all have these fears in life, but then you wonder, are they real or or is the enemy encouraging you to have this excessive worry mm. and anxiety? Um, mm-hmm. Are you saying, I'm bringing these thoughts captive to Christ and I'm leaving them right at the at the foot of the cross. Yeah. Yeah, and don't you think it's, just, it's so helpful to have friends that can see outside yes. of your own worry, right? Oh, They're like, hang on just a minute. Let's think through this with you. Yeah, you need to, you need that. to think yeah. those thoughts out loud. Yeah, let totally. Your, let your friends, your people close to you hear them. Yeah, they stew. Otherwise, they just stew and they totally. take on a life of their own, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, gee, I know nothing about that. <laughs> yeah. So, gentlemen, thank you so much for another uh, hour of Guy Talk. I appreciate you guys very much. Thank you, Bill. Thanks, Thanks Bill. Bill. Yep. Have a great rest of the day, and we'll do it again next week. Lord willing. Sounds good. All right. That wraps up uh, our Guy Talk uh, episode, and we're going to take a short break, and then when we come back, we're going to hear more about one child, which around here we're extremely excited about. We can hardly wait. That's uh, coming up uh, later this month. So we'll take a short break and be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.